Hey, uh, for those of you who are new here this morning, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, welcome. So glad you're here. Um, at the end of the service, if you'd like to, come on up and I'd love to say hi and meet you if you are new here this morning, but welcome. Um, we are continuing this morning our series we're calling I Quit at Leviticus. Um, and in this series, um, we are journeying through the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus. Those are those first seven chapters. Um, are the five offerings or sacrifices that God lays out at the beginning of Leviticus. Now, um, just for fun, and I did this first service, so I'm going to compare notes. Um, how many of you have successfully read through the book of Leviticus all the way through, stem to stern? Raise your hands. You guys make pastors proud. I just want you to know that. Um, and then there's that other group of us. How many of us have started and they couldn't quite do it? There's some liars in the room. I just... I, that would be me, by the way. I've always struggled with the book of Leviticus. Um, I love how Pastor Chuck put it last week. If you weren't here, he said, Leviticus is strange. It is strange. Um, it's so strange. There um, is blood, and then there's guts, and there's discharges of certain kinds, if you catch my drift. Um, there are, like, fungus removal things. It's, it's a weird, weird book. Um, and there's a reason that Leviticus is weird. Um, it's strange for us because Leviticus is a very, very ancient book. It's an ancient text. Um, it was written to an ancient people with ancient customs in an ancient culture. <clears throat> and when we read the book of Leviticus um, with modern eyes, everything for us feels a little strange. It feels weird. We can't quite place it within our own lives because, frankly, most of the stuff doesn't exist the same way in our lives anymore. And so we read it, and it's weird. And if we're honest, maybe a bit dry and a bit boring, too, for some of us. Now, there's a reason that we wanted to um, do a series on Leviticus. And the first was because Chuck and I came up with this brilliant idea. And that was, let's do a three-week sermon series on giving, and then what is a better way to follow up giving than Leviticus? <laughs> See, you're excited too. I love it. Uh, but seriously, for all the strangeness that the book of Leviticus gives us, for all the blood and guts and weirdness that we read, things we don't understand, um, there's actually something really profound about this book. Um, the book of Leviticus has an awful lot more to say about your faith and my faith than we might originally think when we read it. Um, in fact, it could be argued that at the core of the book of Leviticus is not all these rules and sacrifices and customs and all that stuff that we read, but underneath that, it's really a book about God's unbelievable love and mercy and grace toward his people. We just need the eyes to see it. And so uh, last week, Pastor Chuck kicked off the series, um, and he talked about the first offering. It's Leviticus 1. It's the burnt offering is what it's called. Um, and then this week, we're going to take a look at the second one. The second one um, in Hebrew, the, the word is um, minha, uh, or the grain offering, or cereal offering, or sometimes people call it the gift offering as well. Um, one more thing. Um, if you're new here, or, or perhaps you weren't here last week, you're probably thinking, what in the world is this thing right here? Um, don't worry, we haven't converted into something weird um, as a church. Um, this is what an ancient altar would look like. Um, an ancient altar would, actually, we, we modeled this one off, off of one that actually does exist in um, Israel. Um, this is not a Hebrew altar. 
um, we decided to use an ulcer like this and not the Hebrew one because this is creepy enough, <laughs> I think. Uh, the Hebrew one has these big, like, bullhorns that are covered in blood, and we figured maybe we won't do that this time around. Uh, but that is why that's there, and we'll use that a little bit later as well. If you have your Bible, um, our scripture reading this morning is found in Leviticus 2, verses 1 through 3. That's the third book of the Bible, for those of you that need help. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Jay Gomer. Jay, you can head on up when you are ready, wherever you are at. And folks, what we do here is we stand and we face the center of the room as the scriptures are read. Again, we do this week after week after week to remind ourselves that this book actually matters in our lives. We will stand for it. So Jay, when you're ready, take it away. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. They are to pour olive oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the food offerings presented to the Lord. You guys may take a seat. Thank you, Jay. Go ahead and leave your Bibles open there. Uh, we're going to be taking a long time. Actually, just on the first verse, there's a lot going on, even in verse 1. So we'll spend time there. Um, many of you know this already, but um, I served in the Army. And one of the things that you do when you join the Army is you have to go to this thing called basic training, which is just a blast. You should, it's joyous. Love it. Um, one of the powerful things about basic training is you are suddenly thrown into a new system and a new culture. And it's a system and culture where you make virtually zero decisions the entire time you are there. Um, you are instructed to wake up at a certain time. And if you do not, you will pay the price for that. You are instructed to go to bed at a certain time. And if you don't do that, again, you will pay the price for that as well. You are told when to shower. You are told when to use the bathroom. Even if you don't need to use it, you're using the bathroom. You see how this works. Um, you are instructed to say certain things at certain times to certain people, um, certain things in certain ways that you have to say. Um, everything in basic training is this hyper-structured environment. It's a real unique place to be. Now, in the Army, at least when I was in, basic training was two and a half months long, and that meant two and a half months of eating only chow from the mess hall, okay? It's not good food. I promise you that. There are mystery meat Mondays types. You know, it's not good. That means no burgers, no french fries, no desserts, nothing for two and a half months. And I got to graduation day, the last day of basic training, and they said, you can go out and you can pick a meal for yourself anywhere in town, which got me really excited. And I picked Burger King. You can judge me later. It's fine. And I ordered a double Whopper with cheese, a king-size fry, and a large strawberry milkshake. That meal was maybe the greatest meal I've ever eaten in my entire life. I loved it. And I ate it all like army fast. You know, it was gone in like three minutes. It was delicious. And then something happened. <laughs> a couple hours later, I was sitting in the barracks, and this thing started to move in my stomach. I don't know if you've had this experience. 
And that rumbling kind of turned into a stomach pain. And then that amazing taste of freedom called Burger King revisited me all over the floor. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience before. Now, there is something difficult about going from freedom or no freedom to total freedom. Uh, there's something difficult about going from no freedom to total freedom. From being told what to do to saying you get to choose what you want to do. And you see, this is the exact kind of experience that sits behind the background of the book of Leviticus. Um, the Hebrew people, they've just spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents were all slaves in Egypt. All they had ever known was this thing called slavery in Egypt. And as a slave in Egypt, there was a radical dependency on Pharaoh to choose what you do with your life and Egyptian culture to tell you how you're supposed to do it. Pharaoh decided what was right and wrong in your life. Pharaoh decided how they should live their lives. Pharaoh decided what you would eat and drink and when and all those things, a lot like basic training. And then you see something happens. Moses pops up on the scene, and God uses Moses to free his people. And the Hebrew people, they suddenly find themselves outside of Egypt, outside of the expectations of the Pharaoh, outside the Egyptian culture, and they're suddenly in a new world for the first time in their entire lives. It's a new freedom. But in this moment, it's a critical moment for the Hebrew people. All the rules of life, all the ways of life, are now open for the first time in their lives. And now all these questions emerge for the Hebrew people, right? Like basic questions that we don't even think about, right? Like how do I order my life? Like what does that even look like if it's not in Egypt? What does my life order look like? Or moral questions like what's wrong and right? Like, what's a bad thing and what's a good thing? If Pharaoh doesn't get to decide those things, well, then what is it going to be now in my life? Or basic things like when a bad thing happens to me, right? Well, then what do I do or how do I respond to that bad thing? Or the flip would be when a good thing happens to me. When something great happens, how am I supposed to respond to that as well? Like, what are the cultural expectations here? And you see, it's in these questions that the Hebrew people are asking that we come to the book of Leviticus. You see, God sees a confused people that don't really know how to do this life thing outside of Egypt. They're used to Egypt calling the shots, not themselves. And God comes on the scene and wants to help them. You see, the book of Leviticus is an invitation from God into a new kind of living. The Hebrew people had spent 400 years in an abusive environment, right? They were slaves. And God compassionately comes near them. And he says, let me show you how to live a dignified life now. I will be compassionate and gentle with you. Now, the second offering in Leviticus is all about that. God's compassion. 
Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it back up if you've closed it to Leviticus 2. Um, just in verse 1 right there is a great place to start. Um, this is the second offering that God gives his people. Um, the second offering here um, is what the Bible calls the minha offering. Um, minha is, is a Hebrew word. Um, if you were to look at it um, in, in verse 1 here, it says, When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. That's verse 1 there. That, that phrase, grain offering, is, what, is actually the word minha in Hebrew. When it says grain offering, it says minha. And minha, if you were to take a literal approach, what in the world does that word actually mean? It means gift or present or offering, things like that. Um, this word's actually used all over the scriptures, and I want to point you to just one place. If you have your Bible, take a look in Genesis 33 a second. Just go ahead and turn there. Um, Genesis 33 it's the story of Jacob and, and Esau. Um, Jacob is the handsome-faced one. Esau is hairy, is what the Bible says. You get to pick for yourself what you get to be in the story, you know? Um, Jacob and Esau. And at one point, Jacob and Esau, these brothers, they, they have this big falling out. And then you get to Genesis 33, and this hope of reconciliation emerges in the story. And as part of the process of trying to mend this broken relationship, Jacob, the younger brother, offers a gift to his older brother, Esau. And Esau says, no, I don't want the gift. I don't need the gift. And Jacob insists. And then Esau says, okay, I guess I'll take the gift. Have you ever been out to eat with somebody and then they offer to pay the bill and you play the game, right? Like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to pay that. And it's like, no, I really want to. Okay, right? That's what's happening here with Jacob and Esau. Now take a look at Genesis 33, verse 11, a second. Let me read this. It says, this is uh, Jacob speaking. He says, Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Now that fourth word there in verse 11 is the word present. You see that there? That is the Hebrew word minha. Same word. Um, a minha is a present or a gift or an offering. Now you see the minha offering in Leviticus or the grain offering is what most of us know it as. Um, it was there for a very specific reason. You see, there would be times for the Hebrew people who had, they had just left, they had just experienced this exodus thing. Egypt is in the rear view mirror. There would be times when they would experience some things and this sacrifice would actually help them along the way. You see, there would be times when the Hebrew people would feel feelings of joy and gratitude and thankfulness and happiness, like good moments in their lives. And God says, you're actually supposed to do something when those feelings emerge in your life. When you get that new job that you longed for and you're just so filled with gratitude and joy, I finally got the job. God says, do this minha offering thing. Um, when all that debt that you took on when you were 18 years old and got a credit card and should have had one, right? Like when you finally paid it, and you're like, oh, it's paid, relief, joy, gratitude, all those feelings. God says, ah, when you feel that, okay, go to the altar and make that second sacrifice. Go ahead and 
do that. Um, when your daughter, who you wanted to get married for so long, finally finds the right guy and he's a good guy and they tie the knot and you're filled with gratitude and joy, God says, okay, when you feel that, go to the altar and make that second sacrifice. Um, when you've been sick for years, and finally the doctors figure it out. And it's like, oh, that's, that's the thing. And they prescribe the right medicine and you begin feeling better. And you have that sense of relief and gratitude and joy. God says, in that moment, go to that altar and do that minha thing. The grain offering was instruction on how to work out feelings of joy and gratitude in life. What you do, God says, when you feel joy or gratitude or happiness is you come to that altar over there and you do this certain thing when you're there. You bring a grain of some kind. You bring a bread or a grain and you take your bag of it from Winco because that's where this is from, right? I think they did that in the ancient world too. And they hand it to the priest and the priest takes it and he takes a nice handful out of it and he sets it on the altar, right? And he doesn't make a big mess all over the floor, make the janitor mad. Um, and then they take incense and they mix it in and they pour olive oil all over it, and then they burn this sacrifice and the smoke goes up as a sweet aroma to the Lord. That's what you do when you feel joy and you feel gratitude and you feel happiness in your life. That's the process that you take. Why? Are you thinking that? Because that's, that's what I'm thinking when I read this. Why? Well, there's a really important reason why. How many times in our lives does something good happen to us where we're like, man, that was awesome. I had that great conversation or that one thing that I wanted to have and finally did happen in my life. And you're like, I'm happy about this. It's a good day today. And then the day goes by and the feeling goes with it and then it's gone, right? And then we move on to the next day. Well, we do that all the time in our lives, right? God says, don't let that moment pass quite yet because something special is happening in that moment. When you find yourself full of joy or gratitude or happiness, God says, well, actually, I'm involved in that thing in ways that you might not even understand. You need to see that. You see? How many times do we find ourselves in a place of, man, life is good, and we never even think to think, oh, yeah, like maybe, like maybe God was up to something in that. How often do we miss it? God did not want the Hebrew people to miss it. And so he said, go to that altar, do that offering, experience it. Remember that I'm involved way more than you can imagine. Now, there's something else about the grain offering, or it's sometimes called a gift offering, that I think we need to see as well. If you have your Bible, open back up to Leviticus 2. We're going to get right back into verse 1 there a second. Listen to what verse 1 says again. I'll read it again. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. God's instruction is that when a, the Hebrew people 
found themselves coming to this offering moment, right? They had gratitude or joy in their hearts, whatever it may be, that there's a specific ingredient that they should bring. And God says it's the finest flour. Now, like, what do we think when we think of finest flour? I don't know about you, but I think of like the name brand flour. Like God said, hey, Hebrew people, um, I will not accept Winco brand. Like I want Albertsons brand flour. Like if you're going to do the sacrifice, do it right. I want the good stuff. You know, like that's what we think. It's actually more than that, like a lot more than that. When our passage says finest flour, it's not referring to the quality of the flour, but how the flour is crushed. You see? Flour comes from a grain. And it looks a lot like this. This is actually like just a little bit broken down already. And the way that you make flour is you crush the grain, like you pulverize it, essentially. And in the ancient world, they didn't have factories. I know it's like mind-blowing for us. They didn't have that stuff. And so they had to do it all manually. And so they had really big versions of things that looked like a mortar and a pestle, right, at some level. And they would take their grain, and they would put it in their little contraption they had made out of stone, and they would crush the grain. Now, in the ancient world, flour was not very soft. It was kind of chunky and lumpy and not smooth at all because this process took a very long time, right? But God says, I want your finest flour. So what he's saying is, I want you to beat this thing and crush this thing and put all that energy in until it is smooth as silk. Why? You see, that takes time. And what I think what God is saying here is I want you to take the time when you feel joy, when you feel gratitude, I want you to experience all of that. Don't miss that moment. Put the time in to experience all of it. God wants us to experience that stuff in our lives. God wants us to experience this in our lives. When life is good and you're filled with joy, and gratitude, God wants you to savor those moments because they're moments from him, you see? You know, there are seasons in our lives where life is just plain hard, right? Where it's just not going the way that it's supposed to go. It just is a bummer all the way around. We go through seasons of that in our lives. For most of us, we probably go through longer seasons where life is just plain boring, right? Like we wake up, we do the same thing, we go to bed and we do that again and again and again and again and nothing changes. There's nothing memorable about that moment. But, but then there's those other moments where like a sliver of joy breaks through and life just works. God says, when that happens, take your time because that is a gift from me. You see? How often do we do that? Take our time when life is good 
and notice what God is up to. There's something else about this second offering that we just can't miss when we think through the book of Leviticus. The first ingredient that God gives is he says, use the finest flour, take your time, right? Like we want the smoothest flour we can get. That's how you do it. But a thousand plus years later, God came back on the scene and he added a new ingredient to this sacrifice. See, a thousand years later, there was a man named Jesus. And Jesus came on the scene. And Jesus had his ministry and he had his disciples. He did all these things. He did all these miracles. Then he got to the end of his ministry, a very short ministry, and he was crushed, the scriptures say. You see? That's Leviticus language. Jesus was crushed. And instead of making us make a grain offering, right? Like that's how this is supposed to work. We humans, we go to the altar and then we do these things and hopefully God's happy with us, right? Like that tends to be the formula. God does something totally different. He switches the whole thing around and he, God actually comes to the altar and then he actually becomes the sacrifice on the altar as well. And Jesus is crushed into a smooth flour. He's beaten. He's bloodied. He's broken down. He's crushed. You know, Isaiah, um, I think, speaks so perfectly to this in his prophecy. He says, I mean, Isaiah 53, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. And this is the line. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, Jesus became the finest flower in this second sacrifice and did so for us. And in the process of it, he gave us the greatest gift, right? Like this is a gift offering. And what do we get out of that? We get salvation by grace through faith. Jesus goes through a cross so we all can be saved. It's really good news. Amen? It's, it's really good news. There's more going on here, though, you see? The second offering, you come when you are filled with gratitude, when you are filled with joy, when you are filled with happiness, and for God to come and make the sacrifice and be the sacrifice, he was saying something specifically about each of you and me, that he's happy with you, that he has gratitude toward you, that you bring him joy. You see? What if we believed that? You know, I don't know what you, where you're at right now. You know, we're all over the place in this room. I'm sure of it. But I bet there's a good chunk of us that are carrying around this feeling of inadequacy. Like, we are not enough. We did that thing we shouldn't have done, whatever it may have been. Um, maybe we just are the way that we are. Um, maybe we just don't work well around people. Maybe my, our marriage isn't well. Whatever it may be. And we think, man, we are damaged goods. The second offering, when Jesus fulfilled the second offering, he said a different story about each of us and about you. You bring God joy. 
What if you believe that? How would that change things? Let's pray. God, we're thankful that it doesn't matter where we turn in the scriptures, it appears that Jesus shows up, that your good news shows up all through the Bible. God, we make self-judgments about ourselves. We sometimes feel unlovable. We feel guilty. We feel all kinds of negative things. We've got a long laundry list, God, about ourselves. Yet you come to us in the second offering and you say that we bring you joy. God, thank you for that good news. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?